We're going to open our Bibles now to uh, Mark, the book of Mark. We're finishing off chapter 1 this morning. We're going to be taking fairly big chunks as we work our way through this series, otherwise we'll be in Mark for forever. Uh, so this morning we're going to be dealing with verses 14 all the way through to 45. And I'll invite Joe up. Uh, Joe's going to be leading us as we read that this morning. Reading from Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching, and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. They told Jesus about her, so he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. 
See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your, Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Thanks, Joe. Uh, it's an interesting little mishmash of stories. Um, they seem to us a little unrelated, but uh, Mark's painting a picture for us. So please keep your Bibles handy uh, so you can keep referring back and see not only how these stories fit together, but as they do what they reveal to us. Uh, I know a person, uh, that person will go unnamed. Uh, this person claims to support a certain AFL team. Uh, she claims to be passionate. Uh, she claims to have all the merchandise hidden away somewhere. She claims to have been loyal through many hard years for this football club. Uh, and yet despite the, the dedication of this follower, uh, she went all of 2018 without, uh, 2019, sorry, that's the year this year, without watching any of their games. In fact, no games at all. Uh, she claimed again and again, I'm just not that interested, apparently. Uh, the fact that they had a really bad start to the year, I don't know if that affected that, but I'm just not that interested. No games. Until the finals came. And they won their first final. And they won the next final. And the next, and then they won the final. And this person was glued to the TV. She watched, interested all of a sudden, amazingly enough. Who would have thought it? How would you rate such a follower? <laughs> this is a risky question, isn't it? <laughs> How would you rate such a follower? I'm going to put it out there. I think that's a bit lame. <laughs> I think that's a bit lame. Who, who wants to be a fair weather supporter? Uh, who wants to just watch when it suits, when the going's good? That's really not what following's about, is it? That's not what it means to be a supporter. It's a bit lame. Well, let me turn the question back on you. Is there a chance you treat following Jesus the same? Is there a chance that the same things might be said of you and the way you follow and live for him? What place does he occupy in your life? Uh, what place do you think he should occupy in your life? What does that look like? in the day-to-day. -day. Well, this, this collection of stories that Mark puts before us in chapter 1 are really here to ask that question of us. It's, it's a picture of kingdom life. It's a picture of what it means to live with God, what, what following Jesus is all about. And there's a whole lot there, a whole lot more there perhaps, than what we might expect. A far fuller and greater and, and better picture even and maybe a harder picture too. And that's what we're going to see as we unpack these stories this morning. Finally, uh, Jesus has embarked on his public ministry. He's, he's started, it's here, and we see the, the very start of that there in verse 14. Uh, look at it again with me. 
After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Um, Obviously, Jesus said a whole bunch of other things, but this is Mark's summary of his message. The kingdom is here. The time has come. So respond. Repent and believe. Everything is here. All that we saw last week, all that God has promised, the victorious rule of God has come to be extended throughout the earth. It is a time of fulfilment. It is a time of promise. And it's here. It's arrived. And it's close. Uh, Jesus uses the word near. It's not near as in soon or or soon to be. Uh, The word near is distance, as in uh, close by. The implication Jesus is the kingdom. He is the one. It's it's close by. It's, in fact, him. The kingdom has come to earth and Jesus is it. So what is the first uh, act that this kingdom herald, this kingdom bringer uh, does? Well, as we saw in the kids' talk, the very first thing he does seems kind of ordinary to us. He calls his followers. Look at verse 16 through 20 again. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The first thing he does is call a bunch of fishermen. <laughs> a bit of a surprise. Uh, we, we know that these guys knew Jesus. They'd met him uh, before. We read that in some of the other Gospels. But the point that Mark is building here is, is not uh, who they were. It's not the, the circumstances of their call as much as it is to focus on how they responded. Do, do you see how, how plain it is? Jesus comes to them. He calls them. And they follow there's no waiting, there's no uh, umming and ahhing. It's immediate and it's unquestioning. They follow. The kingdom is here. It is bursting in the world. God's rule is being announced. It's being extended. His followers are being gathered. So what does this all mean? What does this all look like? What's well, the stories that follow that, that answer those questions for us? What this kingdom is about and what following this kingdom or being a part of this kingdom looks like. And we see that in the very first episode. Jesus and his disciples, they come into the town of Capernaum where they probably lived. And this is what happens. Verse 21. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now, Jesus gets up in the synagogue on Saturday, their Saturday, uh, and he starts teaching. Not an unusual thing, that's what Jewish men did uh, when they got to a certain age. But there was something unusual about his teaching. Something stood out, something was immediately noticeable to his audience, and that was that he spoke with authority. Uh, Not like the teachers of the law or the experts in the law, Uh, he spoke differently. Uh, We have records of how those teachers taught uh, and it does sound kind of unusual to us. They would read the Bible, they would then say, well, Rabbi such and such said this about that text, but Rabbi so and so also said this. 
and, and so on and so on. Mean, you can imagine it's not terribly inspiring at first, but it's not terribly... Uh, it doesn't carry any weight, does it? The, the person's essentially saying nothing of themselves but simply relying on other people. It's, it, they're not claiming any authority. But Jesus taught differently. We know how Jesus teaches. We, we read it later. Jesus doesn't say so-and-so says this and so-and-so says that. Jesus starts teaching by saying, but I say to you, but I am telling you. You can hear the difference, can't you? Jesus is, is claiming for himself authority. He's saying, I can tell you what this is all about. I can tell you what this really means because I know it. I have authority. But that's not the only thing that happened. Look what happens very, the, the very next moment. Verse 23. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Uh, it's very easy for us in you know, Western society to, to read this with kind of a, a jaded mind. Um, we think spirits and, and demons are kind of the realm of bad TV uh, and bad fiction. But we need to remember that this is a special time here that's going on. This is a, a special occasion, something that has never happened before and never happened since. What we see here is that God has come to earth as a man. He has come to bring his kingdom and as that kingdom is extended, it is going to meet with confrontation, extreme confrontation even, which is what we see here and it's what we see elsewhere as Jesus encounters other evil spirits. And we see here, as Mark records it, that this demon actually recognises Jesus better than anyone has to this point. Uh, the, 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 the demon knows exactly who he is. But Jesus silences it, and we're going to explore what that means uh, in a moment. But just for now, see what Jesus actually does here. I mean, we, we kind of know a little bit about exorcisms through bad fiction on TV and movies and whatnot, and it always involves rites or rituals or holy water or special incantations. But do you see what Jesus does? It's, it's very plain, isn't it? There's none of that whatsoever. He simply says, be silent, come out of him. And it does, <laughs> just like that. I mean, yeah, with a, a violence and with a shriek, but it obeys. And that point isn't lost on the audience Look at verse 27 and 28. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Jesus clearly has an authority that is unheard of and unseen before. And we know why. Because it's, it's there in what he announced, isn't it? In him the kingdom has come and this kingdom we're being shown here is a kingdom of great authority, of the authority and Jesus wields that in its entirety, in his teaching and in his action. He is authority. The authority to take note of. Because that's, that's the proper response to authority, isn't it? To take note of it, 
to obey it. That's what we do for authorities, or at least that's what we should do. Uh, I remember when I was at school, early, early primary school, prep or grade one, uh, in that time when you're that age, uh, you knew that the principal was an authority. Uh, and the principal looked like an authority. He was a gruff, older man, a bit growly, a bit scary, and everyone knew he had a cane somewhere in his office. He was an authority. I don't know if that was actually true. He was probably a very nice man, but that's, that's how I saw him. Uh, and once I, uh, at one time I was um, out of class getting something from the office for my teacher and I was crossing the schoolyard and I saw the principal uh, pull up two high schoolers. He didn't see me, he wasn't talking to me, but stop, he shouted at them. And they stopped. And I stopped, he wasn't talking to me, I couldn't even see me, but I stopped. Pull up your socks, he, he growled at them. And they did, I mean, obviously he did have some authority. They pulled up their socks and what did I do? I pulled up my socks as well, as high as they could possibly go. Because that's what you do, isn't it? You know, he's an authority. He couldn't see me, but, but who knows? I have to obey him. I'm not sure if schools are still the same like that, but that's what we did. You obey the authority. Do we do the same with Jesus? Because he is clearly an authority like no other authority. He has supreme authority over the word and in his teaching. His, his word is authority. He has supreme authority in his action. He confronts even spirits and they obey him. He speaks with the very voice of God. Do we obey him? Now, there's, there's great irony there in verse 27, isn't there? Now, the, the, the whole region is so amazed and marvelling at this. And they're like, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. But what about you? What about me? If the evil spirits obey him, should we more or less? Do we see Jesus? Do we live with Jesus daily? remembering that he is the authority and the authority over us. I mean, it's very interesting, isn't it? We're very happy to call others to submit to him or to, to give their lives to him. You know, we know other people need Jesus. Yeah, follow Jesus. It's great. You, you need him. Come and, come and uh, obey him. It's easy to tell that to people. But what about us? Can we say that for ourselves? I mean, just imagine, imagine for a moment... If we treated him, uh, if we treated sorry other authorities uh, like we treat him, you know, imagine uh, you're a soldier in the army and your officer gives you an order. Yeah, thanks, sir. <laughs> I'll consider it. Uh, or imagine, you know, you, a cop pulls you over. You're not wearing your seatbelt. You need to put your seatbelt on, sir. Great idea, officer. I really respect you. I'm not going to be able to do it right now, but I respect you for telling me. Or your boss gives you a task at work. Yeah, I appreciate your thought, boss. I'll, I'll take it under consideration. I admire what you're trying to do here. It's crazy. I mean, we, we don't do that. Wait, I mean, not if you don't want to get into a whole bunch of trouble. And yet, and yet, we do it when it comes to Jesus, don't we? We do it even though he's clearly put before us as the supreme authority, the one who teaches with authority, the one who confronts and overcomes with authority, the one who represents the very kingdom of God with all authority as king. 
How are we to respond to him? We're to obey him and submit to him. Do you want to be a follower of Jesus? Great. It is literally the best thing there is. But it means willingly, even gladly, submitting to his authority over you in everything. All times, all places, all things. We don't need to be apprehensive about that because as we're going to see time and time again, he is good. Uh, He won't ask us to do things that are wrong or things that are harmful, even though he may ask us to do things that are difficult, potentially painful. He might confront uh, things in our lives that we'd rather not see. He might ask us to give up things that we'd rather not give up. But what he will always do for us is good. Will you follow him? Will you obey him? That's what it means to come after him. That's what it means to have a place in his kingdom. But Jesus uh, soon leaves the synagogue uh, and the story hurries on. Look at verse 29 to 31. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. Uh, It's a really simple little account, a nice personal little account. Uh, Jesus sees his friend's mother-in-law sick, he he heals her, uh, he makes her well, he restores her. Uh, It's good. But there's so much more to come, isn't there? Look at verse 32. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Uh, Word spreads, as you can imagine, from what's happened in the synagogue, what's happened in uh, Simon's house. Uh, Word has spread, and Jesus is now swamped. Uh, It's the Sabbath, so people aren't allowed to go out until sunset. The instant the sun sets, everyone comes out. And the whole town is now on their doorstep, and all the sick, all those who are unwell, are there. And Jesus heals them all. Now you can imagine how long this took and how exhausting it must have been. Uh, it must have been a very late night healing all of these people. And then very abruptly Jesus goes AWOL. Look at verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him and when they found him they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And you can imagine how bizarre it must have been. The disciples wake up, have you seen Jesus? Where's Jesus? Uh, you can imagine how excited they must have been to this point. They've just been asked to be his followers and look what he's done next. All of a sudden he's famous. Everyone knows about him, everyone wants a piece of him and they're his followers. This is great. You know, how good is this? Haven't we picked the right guy to follow? But now, you know, the next day has come. It's a crucial time for follow-up and for consolidating all the gains of the previous day and Jesus is nowhere to be found. They look for him. The word is literally hunt him down. (laughs) Where are you, Jesus? What are you doing? Everyone's looking for you. Let's get back to this healing business. 
How good is that? But Jesus corrects them. Look at verse 38. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Jesus says, you've actually missed the point. Yes, the healings are great. Yes, the fame is special. But that's not what we're about. Why is Jesus here? He is here to proclaim, to preach the good news. That's why he's come. That is his number one reason. Good news is here. He's announced it already. God's kingdom is breaking into the world. It is overcoming the powers of the world. It is giving hope and restoration and forgiveness. And it's here. And it's to be announced. Uh, It's why we see Jesus so often silencing uh, people or silencing demons, saying, don't speak about me. He doesn't want uh, false proclamation to be going out there. He doesn't want dubious witnesses uh, going out there. But neither does he want misleading ideas to mislead the crowd coming after him. Yes, he is a famous healer, but he is about so much more than that. He has come not just to heal, although his compassion compels him to do that. He has come to proclaim. His intent in coming to earth is is far higher and far greater. I mean, we've we've got that saying, don't we? You know, give a man a fish. You, You know the saying, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime and condemn him to spending lots of money on fishing and so on. But... That's what's driving Jesus here, isn't it? It's kind of what's pushing him. Yes, he can heal and that will last a lifetime. What a gift to give the person health. That is a great thing. But he can proclaim and that lasts an eternity. And remember those words we started the service with, words from Isaiah uh, chapter 61. Uh, we, we know from the other Gospels that these were actually the texts Jesus preached upon in his first sermon. Uh, this is what the kingdom bringer will do. Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. What is the kingdom bringer going to do? He's going to preach the good news to the poor, good news that will bind up the brokenhearted, good news that proclaims freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, good news that preaches healing. Yes, the kingdom is about healing, but not primarily about temporary healing, physical healing. It is primarily about spiritual and eternal healing. Healing of hearts, healing that lasts forever. That is what Jesus is about. That is the essence of his kingdom. That is why he is here to proclaim. The world needs to know, the world needs to hear that a better hope has come in the kingdom, that a better hope has come in Jesus. The disciples needed to realise that. They were on the wrong wavelength and we need to realise that. To be part of the kingdom is to be part of its pattern, which is proclamation. 
Yeah, if we were like Jesus, if we could heal with a touch and proclaim the gospel as well, you know, maybe we would be torn between the two. It would be a hard decision. But we're not able to heal with a touch and neither does the Bible ever ask us to do that. But it does ask us again and again and call us and remind us that we are to proclaim, that we are to speak and to tell and to declare, as we sung earlier, the good news of the kingdom. If we follow him, we are to proclaim him. As he told the very first followers, to be fishers of men, to tell the good news and gather people to the kingdom. To be part of the kingdom is to be a proclaimer of the kingdom, to announce that the kingdom is here in Jesus, respond to it, repent, believe and find life. Yes, we show what the kingdom is like, we act it out, we show restoration and and generosity and mercy with the resources we've been given, but we always announce what the kingdom is and how to receive it. We always announce Jesus rules and you can find life in him. The many hurts of this world are simply symptoms. We treat them as we can, but we aim at the disease, we aim at sin to heal it with the good news. Is that how you see yourself? Do do you think of yourself like that? Uh, As a a proclaimer of the kingdom, as one appointed to announce the good news that the kingdom is here? I mean, we're not talking about a separate or, or special class of Christian here. We're not talking about an additional thing on top of all the other things that we're called to do. No, what we're being shown here is that this is essential, not only to us, but to everything that we do. This is really at the heart of what the kingdom is about. It's not optional. It strikes at the centre of who we are. Are we training ourselves to think like this? Do you see your job description as a follower of the kingdom, as a proclaimer of Jesus? Do we seek out, do we find opportunities to announce him? Because that is what his kingdom is about. That's what it means to be a follower of his kingdom. Now, if that's the case, then it almost feels like the very next story seems a bit out of place because the very next story is a healing, isn't it? But it's a lot more than a healing. What we actually have going on in this healing of the man with leprosy is a snapshot, a little picture of what the kingdom looks like. Have a look at verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Uh, In order to to kind of understand this story, we really need to understand uh, what leprosy meant in those days. Um, Leprosy isn't just the disease leprosy, it's kind of a word as a catch-all for all sorts of skin diseases, uh, united by the fact that they were really bad. Uh, And all of them taken very seriously, uh, especially by the Jews. There were a whole range of exclusions and rules that applied uh, to lepers that didn't apply to anyone else. They, um, They had to stay away from everyone else, they had to live outside the towns or outside the cities. 
Uh, lepers weren't allowed to come any closer than 50 metres to any other person. They had to keep the bottom half of their face covered at all times. Their, their whole life was a life of being apart. They were separated from their families. They were separated from their friends and social circles. Uh, they were excluded from any religious practice. They couldn't come to the synagogue or to the temple and, and offer any of the sacrifices. Uh, they were entirely outside of society. No shopping on the weekend, no going to the markets, no sharing in celebrations or gatherings. Lepers were unclean, not only unable to, to partake in religious observation, but anything or anyone that they touched would also become unclean, whether they became a leper or not. They, they would spread that uncleanness. And so they were excluded. Uh, so severe was the disease, so severe were the consequences that uh, lepers were actually referred to as the living dead. Um, parents kind of get a little taste for what this is like. You know, when your kids are sick, there's something contagious and you have to take this poor child who's already miserable and feeling unwell and saying, you can't go anywhere, you can't touch anything, you can't touch anyone, you just have to stay there. Uh, and you just see their misery compounded. It, it, I mean, it makes you feel awful. And that's the life of a leper. That's just a hint of what a leper felt day by day. Keeping that in mind, you start to see the controversy of this story. Because this leper approaches Jesus. He wasn't allowed to do that. He shouldn't have been there. He should have kept his distance. And yet Jesus permits him. He asks Jesus, uh, not can you heal me, but are you willing to heal me? He, he assumes, doesn't he? There, there's, there's a faith, there's a hope there. Um, even though leprosy was thought to be totally incurable, if you had it, there was a life sentence. Jesus says, are you, uh, the leper says, are you willing? And Jesus shows him pity. He approaches the leper. Just something you didn't do. He stretches out his hand to the leper. He, he takes this enormous risk on himself and he touches the leper. What should have happened now is that both of them would be unclean. That the, the, the leprosy would taint Jesus himself and make him unclean and also outcast until he can be proved cleansed by the priest. But that's not what happens, is it? In fact, the very opposite, the impossible actually happens. Clean Jesus touches the unclean leper and instead of both of them being unclean, instead now both of them are clean. Simply by a touch, the leper is made well. I mean, it's, it's absolutely astonishing, isn't it? He's healed like that just in a moment. What was impossible has been done. And there's such weight to this. Uh, in those days it was thought only God could heal leprosy. The, the, no person could do it. There was no antidote. There was no cure. Only God could heal leprosy. And now Jesus just does it. It's a claim to who he is, but it's also a claim to what he has come to do. Jesus is, is demonstrating really what his work is all about. He's showing us he is here to cross that divide, to, to cross between clean and unclean, to, to go beyond that and to heal and to restore and to make right. In him, the living dead live again. The excluded, the one outside, the unclean, is, is restored and is welcomed and is cleansed. He's, he's showing us what he's about. He's showing us what he's come to do. 
Uh, back in primary school, we used to play a game. I think all kids kind of used to do this. It was a very simple game. Uh, the game was called Run Away From One Of Your Friends. Now, all of you would do this. Uh, the whole group of you would choose one friend, not for any particular reason, maybe they were just slow to eat their lunch, and that person would be away, and you had to run from them. Uh, and you hid from them, you avoided them, you did everything you could that they couldn't find you. And for some reason, that was great fun. Unless you were the one having it played on you. In which case, it's not a whole lot of fun at all. It's, it's, a, it's a really awful feeling, isn't it? To be deliberately avoided, to be deliberately excluded. That, that feeling of being on the outside is, is terrible. And it's, it's not just as a kid, is it? I mean, we, we, we fear that. We fear being excluded. We even have a name for it, fear of missing out. We, we don't want that. We don't want to be on the outside. We hate it. I mean, how bad does it feel when you turn up at your family do it and just you feel like, for whatever reason, you're on the outside of your family all of a sudden? Or in your friend circle, all your friends go away and do something and now they've got all these in-jokes and you're not part of that. How does it feel like to be the loner at work? We, we hate it, don't we? That, that fear of being outside is terrible. That was the life of the leper. And the Bible in this story tells us that that's a picture of all of us in a spiritual sense. That's who we are spiritually. Yes, Jesus is bringing the kingdom. Yes, it is breaking into this world in new and wonderful ways. But we're not part of that. We're like the leper here. We're on the outside. We're just watching it happen. We're the ones tainted, unclean, unable to cross that boundary, unable to get in. There's so much good there. Good news, as Jesus said, promises and and blessing and, and nearness to God and life. But we can't get in. We're stuck on the outside. We're excluded from that. Too unclean. And that's why what Jesus does here is such incredible news because he does what should be impossible. He does what can't happen. He reaches across that uncrossable divide. He breaks that boundary. He crosses it himself. And he touches and he cleanses and he restores. And all of a sudden, outsiders can enter in. Unclean, tainted people like you and me, we, we can come back, we can be restored, we can be healed, we can enter, no longer outside, no longer excluded. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how filthy you feel or how far gone you see yourself. Jesus is not only able, he is willing to stretch across that divide, to do the impossible and to cleanse in order that you would enter his glorious and eternal and life-giving kingdom. How does he do that? We actually get a little hint Just a very little hint in verse 45. This is what happens. Jesus tells uh, the leper, don't go uh, telling anyone, just go to the priest. In verse 45, instead, 
he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Do do you see what has happened here? The leper was on the outside, but now he's welcomed in. Jesus was on the inside and is now excluded. It's, it's, it's Jesus outside now. Jesus unable to enter the towns. This, this incredible swap has taken place. That's how far his, his compassion, his mercy goes. He actually exchanges places. He gives his entry and he takes our exclusion. And he deals with it. Do you remember what he says right at the end of this story, right at uh, what he cries out when he's on the cross? Do you remember what he says? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's that cry? It's the cry of the excluded, isn't it? The cry of the one outside. The cry that should have been ours but was his instead. And because that happened, this is true. This is what we read in Colossians chapter 1. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, that is the dominion outside, excluded, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our spiritual leprosy healed, taken away us, being taken from outside and being brought inside. He took our exclusion, he killed it on the cross so that we could come in. He died our death, he rose to life so that we could live, so that we could enter God's kingdom. How do we receive that? By obeying that good news he came to hear, came to bring. By repenting, that is turning away from our old way and by believing that's turning to him trusting him following him it really is that simple in him you have been brought inside rejoice in what you have received be glad for it and understand what it is you offer when you proclaim his name and submit to him, the one who gave himself for you. In him is true hope, true security, true healing, true acceptance. All in the true love and compassion and sacrifice of Jesus. That is what his kingdom is about. That is what it means to be a follower. And that's why it is good news for you and for me and for the world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we reflect and when we think about what you have done for us in Jesus, we again are just amazed and in awe of how good and gracious and kind you are. That you would take people like us, unclean outsiders, You would cleanse us and invite us into your eternal kingdom. 
at no cost to us, but at the cost of your son's life. Father, we are so thankful for your generosity to us. Father, help us to proclaim this goodness, to proclaim this good news, the good news of your kingdom. May we be glad to share it, seeing just how much our world needs to hear it, just how desperate people are for this great and wonderful message. Help us to be glad and eager even to share this good news of hope. Help us to live well as kingdom citizens, remembering that Jesus is the King and submitting ourselves gladly to his authority, following him and serving him with all joy as people of his kingdom. In his name we pray. Amen.